15. Exodus 15. If you want to use one of the Bibles in the pew, it's on page 57. Uh, or you can turn there or click there on your own Bible. I'll have the passages up on the screen as well if that's easier for you. But uh, that's where we're going to be at today. We're about halfway through the book of Exodus. We've been going through this epic story uh, this summer in the Old Testament about how God brought the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and established them as his people. And we've been taught, the emphasis here that we've been talking about this summer is how does this book help us know more about who God is? There's a lot of, sometimes I would say, misperception or uh, misunderstanding and even huge wrong ideas about the nature of God, his heart, how he is toward people, what he desires for people. And so that's really the beauty of this book is it helps us see the reality of who God is, know the truth of who God is. Some of the things we've been talking about in this series is the fact that God is still working. He's always working. In every moment of our lives, he never takes a break. He never punches out. God is always working. We talked about the fact that he hears and he responds, that he's not indifferent to us, that he's not aloof. Um, he's aware of us and he's present and he does respond to our needs. That he's in control, that nothing is beyond what God can handle. And last week we talked about the fact that God reigns. Uh, that he is God and no one else is. That we follow him and there really are no other options. And the, but the powerful, beautiful, majestic, worthy of worship God that he is, we're thankful that he is the God that reigns. So that's where we've been at. Um, and we're going to continue within the story uh, this morning. Before we get into it, let me just uh, bring this up. I'm sure that all of you at some point in your life have been around a little kid who was hangry. Do you know the word hangry? Hangry is the idea that, I mean, it might be, maybe it was, uh, you know, a friend's kid, maybe it was a niece or nephew, maybe it was your own, but maybe somebody acting like a kid, but a kid is so hungry a kid is so tired that they start getting angry. They start, like, it's almost like a hulking out. Sometimes there's yelling. There's definitely a variety of uh, types of whining going on. The kid gets hangry. Who's ever been around a kid like that? Who's ever had your own moment of being hangry, right? Yeah, let's just be honest. This isn't just about children, right? Now, you get around one of those kids and you start looking for goldfish, grapes, crackers, chicken nuggets, anything, stat. Get some food into the kid and usually that's what happens. It's like, oh, goldfish, and it just kind of levels up. Now I'm bringing this up because as we go into this next section of Exodus, we're dealing with three stories where the children of Israel, the people of Israel, are hangry. They're in situations that are dire and desperate, and they are starving. They are dying of thirst, their words. And how does God, within his heart, respond? I'm not saying that they acted like whining kids in these moments, but I'm sure some goldfish crackers would have been very helpful in what they were experiencing. We're not looking at these stories to find out how to handle whining children or anything like that dealing with hangry people. Like we said, this series is about how does this help us to know God? And what we're going to see in these three stories is the reality of how God graciously guided them, graciously tended to them, that God graciously was present, that he guided them in these situations, 
and cared for them through them. And so that's the big theme for this week, is that God is one who graciously guides us. As we get into that, let's pray together. God, I do thank you again so much for this church. I thank you for the fact that we can gather, whether people are here or watching online, the fact, God, that we can come to you and we can worship and we can open your word. We can know that we're in your presence. God, I pray that that encourages us. Um, a genuine reality, God, that we are with you right now and you love us beyond what we can comprehend, that you care about every detail of our lives. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts with that truth. In the ways that people need to hear that this morning, God, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would speak through your word. I pray that you would be the one penetrating our hearts and the things we're going through, and that we would be encouraged. I pray that you would be in control. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Today's going to be a little bit different in that what I want to do is I want to walk through these three stories first, kind of tell the three stories, explain them, and then at the end, I want to make a couple points about them. So there's three different stories, I'm going to walk through them, and I want to come back at the end and make a couple points. But as I go through the three stories, I want you, as we're kind of going along, I want you to see if you can pick up on anything that's repeated, some patterns. These, are, these stories are to varying links, but there's definitely some deja vu moments going on in the midst of these three stories. The first story is about when Israel forgot their song and they're dying of thirst. It starts at actually the end of chapter 15 in verse 22. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and when they went into the wilderness of Shur, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, I think that it's fair to say three days without water. That's genuinely a good amount of time to say, um, we need some water. This is a bad situation. We can, we can think about this as they're traveling a little bit. They've been traveling for three days. I can imagine the cheer that went up when they see this type of oasis and they see water ahead of them. And then I can also imagine them spitting it out as they realize this water is not fit to drink. It's bitter. Like literally this moment of, woo, and then pfft, just spitting it all out all over the place. It's bitter. We need water. And we thought we had some, and now we don't have any. So that makes a bad situation even worse. What are we going to drink? This is why I say that this is a story about Israel forgetting their song. Because everything about Exodus 15 up until this story is one huge worship moment where Israel is thanking God for rescuing them from the Egyptians, from rescuing them from slavery. They're just going, if you were to go back later and read Exodus 15, they're thanking God for being victorious, thanking God for rescuing them from Pharaoh. Thanking God for being the one true God. Thanking God for reigning. But here, three days later, they forgot all that. They're grumbling. What are we going to drink? Verse 25. Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. Whatever type of stick it is, we don't know what was going on, but it influenced the water. It transformed it from bitter to sweet, and they were able to drink the water. 
Like Moses, if you weren't with us a couple weeks ago, we talked about Moses. They get to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's barrowing down on them. How are we going to get out of this? Why are you trying to kill us? And Moses takes his staff, this stick, this walking stick that God had given him, and he slams it into the Red Sea and the water parts. Well, here we don't have a stick and a staff hitting the Red Sea, but we have a piece of wood being thrown into the water, not rescuing them from certain death, but providing water that they desperately need here in the desert. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. It says at the end of verse 25. And there he tested them. Now when it says he tested them, this isn't like, ha gotcha. Like, I want to see if you're going to do the wrong thing. This isn't like that kind of an attitude here. It's more of the idea of this is evaluation and preparation. When you see this, he tested him in these stories. It's God evaluating their hearts and preparing their hearts. I, I helped coach my son's uh, soccer team. And we, you know, practice is going to start next month. And so the, a lot of the students who come in played for us last year. They've been playing for a lot of years. But then we'll have some students that are brand new. So that first couple practices, me and my other coach, we're doing a lot of different drills where really we're trying to figure out what is the skill level of all of these students. Do they understand that you're supposed to use your feet and not your hands with the soccer ball? Do they get how to play? Do they understand which goal is theirs? We're trying to understand where they're at as players, but then begin helping them grow as players. They can be a little clunky at the beginning of the season, but hopefully at the end, they've advanced in their skill level and how they play. That makes sense? When God says he's testing him, that's what's happening. What is their hearts? Where are they at in their hearts? And God wants to grow their hearts to greater faithfulness. This is the type of testing that God's doing. He's seeing the truth, and he wants to grow them. He's preparing, and he's developing them. It says in verse 26, He tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they went to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water, and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Now, a couple interesting things here at the end of this first story. First, God, remember, God just rescued them from slavery. But that doesn't mean he rescued them to a life of just, well, whatever. All right, go do whatever you want. Got it. Talk to you, you know, see you when you die in heaven. That's not what God is doing here. They are his people. He's making a nation. He's making a people that are going to be after his heart, that are going to be holy as he is holy. They want God is growing them to be more like who he is because that's the best way to live. That's the way we were made to live. So for God to say, I want you to follow my commands and experience the blessings that come from them, or you can go the other way, but just know this is where those lead. God is saving them to a life that he's made for them. The other thing that's really interesting about the end of this story is they get to this bitter water and they're like, oh, this is the end. What are we going to drink? But God had was leading them to an amazing oasis. He led them to this bitter water as an evaluation, as a growth. But just around the corner, just around the bend, is an even greater, 12 springs, 
70 palm trees, which if you're in the desert, that's a lot of shade and that's amazing. There was something up ahead that God had for them and they just needed to trust him and be faithful. This is the first story. First story, what do we see? They travel, remember, they've been rescued from Egypt. They travel a little bit. They get thirsty. They grumble because of their thirst. God helps them. He gives them direction. And then there's an amazing oasis. That's the first story. Then we go into chapter 16. The the first story was them being thirsty. The second story is them getting hungry. And this is where the hangry really comes out. Now remember, look for the deja vu moments here. What have we already seen? It says in 16 verse 1, They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. It's just the name of it. It's not like the land of sin and debauchery. That's not what it's saying there. But it's not like they were faithful there either. So they went to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So for timeline type people trying to figure out how long this is, the first story happened three days after they were rescued from Egypt. This second story is happening about a month and a half after they've been rescued from Egypt. So they've been traveling in the wilderness for a little bit longer. Verse 2, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, what would... What that we had died by the hand of God in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Okay, that's a little dramatic. This is, in fact, this is kind of a nuts accusation. Is that God really do everything he's done making himself known, rescuing them from Pharaoh with the grand master plan. I got you in the desert, and now you're going to starve to death. <laughs> that is not what God is doing. But that's, that's the crazy thing that they're accusing him of. It says, and next, again, they're very hangry at this point. It says, verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people, I keep, every time I've read that this week, I've, you know, raining men, it's not, it says raining bread. So if you want that song fits, I don't know why, but that's just, I'm sharing with you what's been in my head for all week. Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I might test them, whether they walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when the people, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So here in the Old Testament, we have cloudy with a chance of carbs. It's going to be, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I was so proud of that. And the fact I got that reaction, it's warms in my heart. Thank you so much. God is about to make it rain bread. And I know if this was happening today, there would be people out with umbrellas, like turning it over and holding it up and just trying to get what's raining down. The bread is coming. But remember, there's the testing language that happens there. Will they walk in my law or not? Again, let me see where your hearts are at because we need to grow toward faithfulness. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. 
And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Sure doesn't sound like he's bringing them out here to kill them by starvation. In fact, the thing that they were complaining about, did you remember hearing that? That they sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? God is saying, I'm going to bring meat directly to you, and I'm going to bring bread from the heavens. He heard what they said, and now he's going to show them what they're craving. It says in verse 13, In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is this? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It was the bread, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Bitter water transforms to sweet water that they can drink. And here now, bread and quail is coming to them with like Old Testament Uber Eats. Just right to them. Chicken everywhere. Bread everywhere. Some of you, it's like, what is this over? Because now he's making me hungry. It's, but this is what he's bringing to them. This is what you've been complaining about. Let me show you the abundance of provision that God can bring. Jump down to verse 16. This is what the, the Lord had commanded. Gather each of you as much as he can eat. You shall take an omer, which is a, we don't know the exact measurement of that, but like we'll just use gallon as an a, a example, a, pound, a couple pounds. According to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whatever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. As you go through the rest of chapter 16, we're not going to read every single verse there, but as you get into the rest of chapter 16, God starts talking to them about Sabbath, that he would provide a double portion for them on the sixth day so that they wouldn't have to work on the seventh day. And so Sabbath was already something that they're familiar with, part of their rhythms. It wasn't just something that came during the Ten Commandments. This was part of part of their life. And God is telling them, you need to have a day. You were enslaved in Egypt. I want you to have a day to remember you're free. I want you to have a day that you're not working. I want you to have a day to remember I'm in control and you can trust me. And so on the sixth day, I'm going to make, provide what you need for two days, but you have to trust me. It says, uh, it said, um, on the, in verse 27, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Because the reality is what happened is most followed what God said. They went and collected on the sixth day, but some didn't. Some just went, ah, it'll be there. Look at what God's doing. It'll be on there. I'm going to go out on the seventh day. And they didn't have anything to eat. And that, see, that's the thing. Why is it God? So because I didn't do what God said, that means I can't eat? What kind of a God is he? Well, God told you to collect food on the sixth day, and you'd have enough for the seventh, but you didn't do that. This isn't because God wasn't providing for you. It was because you weren't listening to how God was providing for you. God was giving you exactly what you needed. You just didn't listen, these, some of the people of Israel. 
God had them put manna in a jar to be a testimony to future generations. God provided exactly what we needed. And he would did so throughout all of our journey. Toward the end of the chapter, it talks about them living like this for 40 years. For generate, let the generations know God provided for us, always provided for us, and we had it what we need. That's the second story. Did you see some patterns there? Some comparing it to the first story? Travel a little bit, get hungry, grumble, the hangriness sets in, God helps, gives direction, and then we have amazing provision. The third story, the last story is really short. It says in 17, verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on them, moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Again, we're not sure how long it's been at this point, but they've been moving in stages, so it's been a while. It says in verse 2, therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and kill our children and kill our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And so again, a little bit of a forgetfulness and a lot of over-the-top reaction. These people have long-term memory issues. They are staring at what's happening right in front of their faces, forgetting the God that's been with them all along, forgetting what God did. They cannot remember anything beyond what's right in front of their face. And because of that, it seems hopeless. Not because it is hopeless, but they're forgetting where their hope is in. Do you see how their emotional reactions intensify as these three stories go on? We're thirsty. We need food. We're starving to death. Why are you trying to kill us and our families? They're getting more and more emotional and over-the-top reaction about God because of their forgetfulness of what he's done. It says in verse 5, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff, with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Another story with a stick and water. Moses' staff, which represents God's authority, God's power, it's used to hit the rock, and water comes out of it. The same God who split the Nile for them to walk through to safety is the same God splitting the rock for them so that they can have water to drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now those two towns, Massah and Meribah, that means testing and quarreling. Another reminder for those to come, another reminder for generations to come of how God graciously responded and provided for the people of Israel, even at their worst. At their worst, well, how can I, how, 
Think about everything that these people have experienced. They walked through a parted sea. They've seen bread coming from the heavens. They've seen God appear in a cloud. And at the end of that, after only a couple months, they're saying, is God with us or not? That, why would you ask that question after everything you've experienced? They shouldn't be asking, is God with us or not? They should be saying, God, I know you're here. Guide me. Help me. Show me what you want me to do. That's why I think this is the worst question that they could have asked. But God graciously responds to them. That's the third story. Did you see the patterns there? Travel a little bit get thirsty, grumble, God helps, gives direction, and now amazing grace is shown to them because he's going to keep traveling and going with them. Three different stories, but they're all very, very similar. What do they tell us about knowing God, specifically about how God graciously guides us? I mean, think about all of these accusations that they bring against him. Think about the things that they say, a lot of times people have a wrong idea about the God of the Old Testament is just mean and angry and judgmental, and the God of the New Testament is gracious, which is the furthest thing from the truth. But these stories are showing us if God was the judgmental God that people think he is in the Old Testament, I don't think he would have responded to these stories the way that he did. If there was ever an example of pure grace, a gracious God loving and tending to these people, knowing exactly what they've been going through. It's the stories that we've been looking at. He graciously guides them through these moments. And so what do these stories tell us about this gracious God who guides us? Well, the first thing is this. As God graciously guides us, we tend to question him during the hard times. Did you see that in three stories? And all three of them, they didn't have water. Food didn't come as easy. No water again. And in all of those times, their vision was skewed. And they forgot what was true. It was when the hard times came. Their long-term memory problems kicked in. They were focused only on the issues that they were dealing with. And not on the God who was with them while they were going through the issues. And they forgot the reality. We have to try and remember that it's during the hard times we become most forgetful. We have to remember that it's during the hard times we become the most forgetful. We forget what God has already done. We forget what, how God has already provided. We forget that God, how God has cared for us. We forget that God has put us in community, that we're not alone, that God is going to walk with us and provide for us and care for us. God knew that they needed reminders. He had them collect manna. He had them, he named cities after the situations that they've gone through. What do you need to be reminded of? Is it God's grace? Is it God's mercy? He doesn't expect you to be perfect, that he just wants you to be faithful. That during your worst of moments, God still loves you. Do you need to be reminded of that? Do you need to be reminded to trust him? You need to be reminded to care for him and worship him in every minute of your day, not just an hour on Sunday. 
What do you need to be reminded of? Is it something that you need to get or hold on to that reminds you of his goodness? They needed a jar of manna. They needed cities named after them. Maybe there's just something that you need to have on your person with you or hang in your home or whatever that might be that reminds you of the truth of who God is to where when you're forgetful, it will draw your mind back to the truth and you can trust him rather than doubt him. What type of situations can cause you to forget? What are the things that you go through that cause you to question who God is? There's nothing wrong with processing our faith, questioning things, trying to figure things out. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's a difference between I'm trying to figure out my faith, I'm questioning things, I'm processing things. There's a difference between that and God, are you trying to kill me by not letting me eat? Do you understand the difference in those two things? What are the moments that you come to when you start accusing God of not being a good, good father, like we sang a minute ago? What are the situations that you get in that that kind of stuff starts brewing in your heart? We need to be mindful of those weaker moments, of those moments where we are strained, those moments when we can be challenged in that way so that we can start getting around people, that we can have people walk with us, that we can be put in reminders of our truth. We need to be, know how to be reminded, but we also need to be aware of the situations where we're going to need the reminders. God graciously is guiding us, and we tend to forget his goodness during the hard times. So we need to be proactive to remind ourselves. We need to be proactive of being aware of things so that we don't go and, turn and start acting in those moments like the Israelites did. The second thing from these stories as God graciously guides us, he is concerned about our daily ordinary. As God is graciously guiding us, he is concerned about our daily ordinary. These stories that we just looked at, these are not plagues, ten plagues ravaging the cities. This is not a miraculous rescue from Pharaoh. These stories are about lunchtime and rest stops. These are about needing to eat. But that's the point. God cares about your groceries and about gas prices and about mortgages and bills and needs and wants. He cares about the things that we're going through and the things that we're experiencing. And so during the little things, during the ordinary things, during the daily grind of life, when life is normal and not in a deep valley and not in a high mountain, just because the majority of time life is pretty ordinary. It can be awesome, ordinarily awesome, but it's pretty ordinary. And God cares about you and is concerned for you in all of those things. Think about how he, and what are the things he provides? How does he step into our ordinary daily lives? Well, think about what we saw in these stories. He brought healing for bitterness. Think about the different things in our lives that cause bitterness, that cause strain, that cause tension that caused sadness, and God brings healing into those moments. He brought rest from gathering. You are not meant to be a machine. You are not meant to be a perfectionist. You are not meant to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. Have a daily, a weekly reminder, a daily reminder that I am God and you're not. He brought grace after failure. It's in the daily ordinary that we slip up and mess up and we need to be reminded that God loves us, that he forgives us, and he's not giving up on us. Do you need healing today? 
Do you need rest? Do you need grace? What in your daily, ordinary life is concerning to you? 1 Peter 5 says, give, excuse me, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. God cares about you. Every single thing in your daily, ordinary, and also the deep valleys and the big mountains. God cares about you. Deuteronomy 31.8, do not be afraid to discourage, for the Lord, the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will never fail you nor abandon you. If you don't get anything else from today, know that God is with you and he cares about you. The third thing, as God graciously guides us, he wants us to grow in faithfulness. I mean, the, we could be honest, the Israelites were acting like immature brats. They were, yes, that I'm not saying they weren't in hard times. And I'm not saying that they don't, those difficult times don't bring strong emotions. But them claiming that God brought them to the desert to kill them, claiming that God wanted to starve them and kill their families, I mean, come on. That's a little bit of an immature perspective as far as who they are in the Lord and who God is and what he's trying to do. Remember, testing was to evaluate and grow them. It was clear that they had some growing to do. And that's okay. But the growing has to start. He said in 1526, diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commands and keep all his statutes. I mean, if there was a verse to hang up, put on an index card and hang up in your kitchen or on the fridge or on your car, or whatever it is, it would be Exodus 1526. Diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Do that which is right in his eyes. Give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. I mean, when you think of grasping the things of God and implementing them in your life, can your efforts be described as diligent? Putting in effort. Doing what's right. Turning your mind toward him. Remember, God is not asking us to earn his love. He's not asking us to earn his grace. He's teaching us to follow him. It's not a free-for-all. He's going to show us the reality of where our heart's at and how to grow more like him. It says in 1 John 2, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. If we, if we say we know him, then we're growing in him. If we say his, we're his followers, then we're growing and learning what it means to follow him. Are you growing in faithfulness? Again, remember the soccer practice thing, evaluating and growing. Church on Sundays is meant to help us grow. Life groups are meant to help us grow. Reading the word and prayer are meant to help us grow. It's time to put the effort in. We need to grow as he's guiding us and he wants us to grow in faithfulness. That leads to the last thing. As God graciously guides us, there is always more to the story for us to hope in. I love how each of these three stories end. Each one of them with a big word of hope, of grace, of more to come. 
In the first story, there's an abundance of water and shade just around the bend for them to experience. In the second story, there's a promise of God's provision throughout the generations. In the third story, there's a definite answer to the question, is the Lord among us? In each story, God not only brought their hearts in the present to what they either forgot or hadn't fully grasped, but he also directed them to know the truth that they were going to take with them into the future. There's still more to come. There is abundant hope for you now and tomorrow. God is providing and he will provide. He is with you and he's always going to be with you. The question is, are you trusting him? Are you trusting that he is with you? Are you trusting, do you have that hope in him? And so the question for some of us here this morning is, are you following the Lord? Are you, are you somebody that has put your faith in him? He is my life, and I'm trusting him with who I am. If that's you, then you have that hope. You have that truth. You have that joy through these difficult times, but even within everything coming down the road. If you're somebody that doesn't, isn't following him, then let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day that you find that life, that you find that hope that only comes in Jesus. Romans says in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is why Jesus went to the cross to die for us so that our sins would be forgiven and that we could have the life we were made for. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we do. God has done, Jesus has done everything so that we can have that life and he gives it to us freely. That's why Ephesians says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. If have you received that gift from the Lord? If you have, then let these stories be a reminder to you that you need to trust him, that he's present, that he is always with you, and he's caring for you, graciously guiding you along the way. If you haven't trusted in him, let today be the day that you take his hand. Let today be the day you begin, you, that he begins guiding you, that he is the Lord of your life who has given you life, because that's what he wants. We all get into situations in life where we feel a bit hangry. I don't just mean the physical hunger, tiredness, and all that. Life is going to be difficult at times, confusing at times, mundane at times. We have to remind ourselves that God is guiding us in every moment. So what do you need to remember about him today? How can these moments that we see in these stories show you more about yourself? How is God trying to grow you? Just think about the answers to that. We're going to close today by receiving communion.